It is indeed a very bad day on the Half Point Per Podcast. Welcome to Episode 9. I am your host, Evan Riggs, joined once again by my co-host, Dalton Willie, And our producer, Johnny Pham, is actually not with us today. And Dalton, I just have to say, thank God, because he would have been unbearable, unbearably gloating over his Lunchable Poll victory. An astounding 68% of the vote out of 100 votes, so 68 people voted. Lunchable's cold over Lunchable's hot. Dalton, what, what's your reaction as you see this go down live all day on Twitter last Friday? I was in pain. Probably one of the worst Twitter days of my life. I've, I've had some pretty good Twitter food polls go my way. Oatmeal cookies <laughs> versus chocolate chip. I won that one, and I learned you were on the there. you were you were on the side chocolate chip there, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I can't uh, remember. I learned yesterday why our country is currently the way it is because there are a lot of people out there who have very wrong opinions, and you need to reevaluate <laughs> them. And so, if you voted in that poll and you're listening today, uh, you can just email us at halfpointperpod at gmail dot com with your thoughts, and I'll tell you why you're wrong in a line by line. I'm glad Johnny's not here to join us because this is one of the worst days of my life. We're on episode nine of the pod. It's been a tough run so far. Yeah, I thought the pod was going to have to fold. I I thought that might be the end of the half point per podcast as I saw that um, going down. It seemed like with each person that Dalton tried to recruit, he accidentally recruited a vote against us instead of for us. It just nothing went our way. Um, Lost a lot of friends. Lost I just have I just have two questions for all of you and especially Johnny. Johnny, this is your test to see if you're listening. And when you hear this, I want you to respond to these questions in our group chat. Number one, when you eat nachos, do you put shredded cheese, salsa, the works on your nachos and then not heat up in the microwave? Number two, would you ever make a homemade pizza? Make the dough with sauce, cheese, and the meat, and eat it without heating it up? I would love to know the answer to both of these questions. Valid, Dalton? Incredibly valid. The world needs to know. The world needs to know. Johnny, you can reveal those answers on the next podcast, and if you do not, you'll be exposed to our very large audience uh, that you're not, in fact, a listener of our show. Dalton, I would say we can move on to happier news, but we're actually going to start off on a sad note here. Um, One quick news note as we get into it, or I guess I haven't even told you guys what we're talking about today. Uh, So wrapped up in the pizza lunchable, uh, we'll call it a fiasco. We are talking about our sleepers today. So fun show. It'll get much more fun. I'm sure this beginning was fun for a lot of you. For us, it'll get a lot more fun um, as we talk about our sleepers. Uh, We'll hit on a little bit of news at the beginning go through um, like we did last week with uh, some something or nothings. And yeah, we'll, we'll hit the sleepers after that. First, real quick, I just want to touch on Tyree Kill tweaked his hamstring in practice. We don't need to really give any analysis on it, I guess. We don't really know anything, the severity, anything like that. We just know he tweaked it. He pulled up um, running a route seemingly and didn't return the practice. Um, that's pretty much all we know at this point. Um and we can just get right into something or nothing. I don't see any any point in overanalyzing this right now, especially, you know, who knows. By the time people actually hear this, maybe we'll know a lot more about Tyreek Hill. But um, the first thing that I want to talk about is a, a saga that has probably 
been one of the more talked about topics just on a week-to-week basis. It seems like we've talked about this three or four times now uh, on this pod in the nine episodes that we've done so far. Um, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reports that Vikings running back Dalvin Cook, quote, broke off contract talks with the team and will focus on preparing for week one. Um, Dalvin Cook pushed back. Bless you, Dalton. Dalvin Cook pushed back on the reports that he'd hold out. So I'm not quite sure what to make of this, uh, Dalton. I'll just kick it over to you. Is this something or is this nothing? This is something, but for all the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Um, Initially, I thought it was bad news, but Dalvin Cook said he would focus on preparing for week one. And he's still practicing. Both of these are good things, in my opinion. It looks like even if the contract talks don't go the way he wants them to, he's going to play football, uh, which seems good. Uh, maybe we'll have a little more clarity closer to week one as to whether or not he intends to play. But if he's preparing to play for week one, or at least preparing for week one, even though contract talks have stalled, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, I'm in the spot at the seventh pick right now in our draft where I feel like he's falling and uh, I'm considering taking him after this news. So what I think is interesting about this is I, I agree with you that it is something. Um, I I disagree on the rest of your point, but I obviously can't say it's wrong because we're both just making our own reason in this situation, so I could see this going either way. Um, the way I kind of read it, or maybe not read it, but what I fear is the focusing on week one, that that's not, I don't really know how relevant that is. I just wonder, I mean, especially this year, that if you don't have a long-term deal, and obviously there's the concern with you can't really hold out. We've talked about that with the CBA, that you have to be there to accrue your year and all of that stuff. Um, I just wonder if it's going to be like, oh, Dalvin Cook has a sword knee, he's out. Um, You know, like, I just wonder if it's, if, if he's going to try and finagle his way out of playing games for a team that seemingly isn't going to pay him, or at least has not yet, obviously. And it seems like just if you read most reports that have kind of been circulating around this for the last week or so, I think people thought this was going to get done um, pretty recently. I feel like the news was trending positively there. And this kind of came out of nowhere, quite honestly, it seemed like things were trending the right direction. So, I guess my concern would just be, I don't know, how motivated is he going to be to play this year? Is he going to want to play? Is he going to hold that? I mean, this different sport, but, you know, Kyrie Irving threatened to have knee surgery if the Cavs didn't trade him. Like, not that he's going to do that, but, like, I don't know. Does does an injury, air quotes, turn into something where he misses four weeks? I mean, I just feel like that's something that is at least – on the table in the back of my mind and I don't like I don't like that. Well we've seen players do that. We saw Trent Williams with the uh Washington football team do that. Mm-hmm. Good job. He, <laughs> it took me a second to catch myself. But he just refused to play. He said the doctors were wrong in their diagnosis of his injury. And that's something you could definitely see occurring again. It's a smart strategy as far as, as I'm concerned. Uh and you're right, this was something that was trending positive and now we're not seeing it work out. I wish that the Vikings had the Chiefs front office and could effectively negotiate deals, but it seems like with their studs, they're just not as good at it. Uh, so at the end of the day, I, I would say there is some bad news in that. I'm just trying to find the, the nugget because I think I'm going to be faced with drafting him, and I'm really hoping some positive news breaks this way. So if Cook's sitting there at the seventh pick still in our draft, I get the opportunity to have him on my team and watch him play. 
Yes, we we obviously hope that's the case. The NFL is better when the better players are on the field, and fantasy is just more fun when those guys are on the field and you're not trying to figure out, okay, do I start Alexander Madison? Is Mike Boone somebody I pick up? Is he worth a, you know, just, I just don't want to even have those conversations. Obviously you roster Madison no matter what, but it's just a lot simpler for us if, if Dalvin Cook is there and he's a, he's all the way in. Um, To another guy who I guess kind of did this in a way last year, had a serious injury and then was just like, yeah, I'm not playing. Um, And AJ Green, he sat out some practice practices recently, earlier this week. Zach Taylor called it precautionary. It's due to a hamstring setback, though, so it's not like it's just managing him. He has had some kind of health setback. We just don't really know to what extreme. Could be very minor, but Dalton, is this something or nothing to you? This is a huge something for me, and I think we discussed this earlier when we briefly touched on AJ Green, that we were just watching for any news to come out of that camp. Uh, bad news came out. I put this in the same vein as a guy like Will Fuller or T.Y. Hilton, where if you're seeing training camp reports, the guys aren't feeling the best. They're sitting out practices and they have a litany of lower body soft tissue injuries that it's just an avoid. I mean, if A.J. Green isn't playing at 100 percent week one, he's probably not going to play at 100 percent the entire season. And Mm -hmm. this just makes me very worried. Uh, His ADP hopefully falls and he's not a guy I'd even consider until the the double digit rounds at this point, just Mm -hmm. with the injury scare. Yeah, I think this is definitely something. And I don't know if I'm quite ready to go as far as you as like how concerned I am. But for anybody who is just really excited to take AJ Green as price, because we know the upside, we know the kind of player he can be if he's healthy. This is just kind of a splash of cold water, a, a douse of reality, I guess, if you will. Um, when it comes to AJ Green as draft stock, and we will obviously be keeping an eye on this guy, and you mentioned he was a guy specifically that we're going to be keeping an eye on. For example, like DeAndre Hopkins missed a, a practice or two with the hamstring. You know that that doesn't bother me because he's not a guy who has the history at, at this point of an AJ Green that lower body history, and obviously is not as old. The 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 soft tissue stuff worries you more with with a guy his age. Um, Dalton, another uh, unfortunate news note. I feel like all of these but one are actually unfortunate news notes. Um, this week, Miles Sanders has a lower body injury, which I, the Eagles are like going full smokescreen on these because Dallas Goddard has a upper body injury. <laughs> and, um, I think Boston Scott also has a lower body injury. Boston Scott is day to day. Um, Miles Sanders is week to week. And I guess for me, I'll just go first on this one, but I'm I think this is something, it's not a big something yet, but it's definitely something you have to keep an eye on. What I don't love is that within the phrasing of the reports, I've seen um, will be ready for week one. So, I mean, you know, that, that's obviously pretty close, cut three weeks away, but you don't like that they feel like they have to come out and say, yeah, he'll be ready for week one. If, if it was minor, if he was day-to-day, we'd feel better. And then obviously we just have no idea what, um, what the injury is. I, I mean, it could, I don't think the injury as a whole is probably a huge deal, but the mystery is scary. And then, you know, if you're taking them where you want to take them, um, you're betting on volume and you just don't like a guy starting off so early with a lower body injury when you want him to get all of the work this year. Yeah. Um, it is a little concerning in my opinion. I'm going to go ahead and outright say it that the Eagles have the worst medical team in the NFL when it comes to injuries. 
I actually looked it up. Back in like 2013, the Philadelphia Inquirer had a report that Chip Kelly was revolutionizing the NFL when it came to medical treatment for injuries. Uh, I'm a little surprised that seven years later, they're probably one of the worst looks at injuries. Uh, but this for me is actually nothing, and there's a couple of reasons. First, in the, in the next couple of days, maybe even the next week, if this is something to be concerned about, the Eagles are going to sign it back, and that's when it becomes something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just so thin at running back that I think this is a very big precaution they're taking. Yeah. Cor- Corey uh, Clement is uh, taking first-string reps right now. Yeah, Corey Clement has made a lot of fantasy owners puke when they slide him into their DFS lineups. <laughs> yeah, I, but, well, I, I've done that in a season-long lineup before, and it's not been a fun time. But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think it's much. Um, if we start seeing movement on waivers and them going for a veteran back or trying to pick somebody up or even trading for Leonard Fournette, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's when I'm going to get very concerned and Miles Sanders' uh, hype train is going to die. Yeah, and this is going to be one of those things since he's week to week and, quote, should be ready for week one. It's like we might not have a whole lot of clarity before draft time is pretty much up. The real clarity on what the injury actually is, we don't really know when that's going to come you would think maybe the nfl would make them actually specify a little bit more at some point it's belichickian yeah. upper body lower body yeah i know somewhere kidding. on his body it's just flat out like nhl yeah. <laughs> injury reports honestly um i do want to interrupt this podcast real quick to um just announce the minnesota timberwolves have won the number one pick in the nba draft and i am just laughing at the thought of a uh, big baller brand relocating to minnesota if that does happen <laughs> oh, God. LaBella. Well, to interrupt this with one more news nugget, uh, Ron Riviera has stage one lymphotic cancer, according to oh, Adam wow. Schefter. Yeah, so, says it's early and operable, but it uh, looks like Ron Riviera will be in our well wishes. Uh, but he seems to be in good spirits and says he's going to coach the 2020 season. So hopefully it's nothing too serious. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you obviously you worry about that just with COVID. Hopefully, hopefully he can stay well. Um, Okay, I feel like we need something happy here, and this has the potential to be be a little bit of a cheerful note. Um, Chase Edmonds, quote, a starting running back in this league, according to Cliff Kingsbury, obviously of the Arizona Cardinals. Dalton, is this something or nothing? Well, first, I want I question why this is positive news from you, because uh, I have Kenyon Drake slated pretty high <laughs> in my rankings. Uh, but this is something... And there are a couple of reasons. First, Everybody else was injuries or holdouts. So this is at least <laughs> like good news on a player. Well, this is something because I actually rostered Chase Edmonds before he got injured. He had one game. He had like 100 yards and a couple <laughs> touchdowns. And he was great. Uh, and Kingsbury in the full comment had gone on to say they wouldn't have traded for Kenyon Drake if Chase Edmonds had stayed healthy. And so now you have Kenyon Drake who had a, a marvelous eight-game run, likely on a very short leash where you could have a 1A, 1B situation. And this isn't an offense that predominantly passes two running backs. A lot of the major points uh, to be had for fantasy running backs in this offense come from rushing. Mm-hmm. And if both Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds are getting a split rushing attempts, uh, fantasy owners are in for a very bad day trying to figure out who to roster. Uh, at this point, Chase Edmonds looks like a huge value. And <clears throat> Kenyon Drake is probably he's going to drop maybe one or two spots by rankings, and I'm probably going to avoid him in the draft. I know it feels like coach speak, but – this goes a lot with what we saw last year in Arizona where they enjoyed Chase Esmonds and they thought he was a good player and Kenyon Drake was really somebody they brought in because they needed him and he deserves the starting spot. But I don't know how big the gap between the two players is going to be. Yeah, I, for now, I'm going to go nothing on this one because like you said, I do think this is like the ultimate coach speak. Like, to, you know, 
I, I he obviously doesn't have to say that, but what I I just don't read much into that. I, mainly because when Edmonds played last year, especially his one big game, if you watch the highlights of that game, it's like, yeah, it, you know, the box score looks good. It was a good game, but like he was just running through wide open holes. Like it wasn't like, you know, like Kenyon Drake is just flat, the better player. Now there are just questions with Drake. He's obviously was traded for very little from the dolphins. He seemingly has never been a workhorse back for an entire season. So, but so maybe it's a little bit of something just because of the questions with Drake, but I'm going to lean a lot more towards nothing just because I don't think Edmonds is as good of a player as Drake. Well, I hope you're right because I, I, I intend to have a lot of shares of Drake uh, where available. I, I will say I feel secure about him and that workload. I production is, is another thing, um, or at least week in, week out production. The ride don't got a rate on the parade, Evan. The the ride could be bumpy. We've seen it before with Drake, but I I just feel like he he's going to be the guy in that offense. He he's the best back on that team, so I'm not overly concerned um, with that, but. Chase Edmonds, if you were to really buy into that, could be somebody who would be on a sleeper list. And funny enough, we have one of those this week. I don't think anybody, any of us has Chase Edmonds, but Dalton, we each um, named five of our favorite sleepers. And I know we actually talked about this list beforehand just because we wanted to make sure because we like a lot of the same guys. We dislike different guys, but we like a lot of the same guys, it seems like, especially later on in the draft. Um, I wanted to make sure there wasn't too much overlap, so you might not get the same disgust and surprise as as last week. But <laughs> before we jump um right in, I I don't know if you had any honorable mentions. I had two, and um, well, actually, you know what? Because I think one of mine maybe was a sleeper for you, so I'll save that. I'll, I'll save the, the honorable mentions for the end. Um, do you want to give your first sleeper? Yeah. So just for the listeners, so they can follow along, I went in order of ADP. Uh, fantasy pros consensus rankings and my highest player is an ADP of 91. Uh, he is the QB 11 right now in fantasy football and his, he is Matthew Stafford. Uh, Matthew Stafford is a guy who I think has a good shot at finishing inside the top six of quarterbacks this year. Last season through weeks one through nine, when he was injured, Matthew Stafford was the ninth highest scoring fantasy player in every position. <laughs> he was incredibly dominant in his role. Uh, over his eight seasons in the NFL, Matthew Stafford has averaged 27 touchdowns, 14 picks, and 4,500 passing yards. And last season looked to be a career year, and I do contribute a lot of that to Matt Patricia. He's been kind of pegged as a defensive-minded coach, but he brought a game plan that really suits itself to Stafford and the weapons that Stafford has. Uh, those weapons being... Very deep ball players. Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are two guys who stretch the field. And last season was the first season that Matthew Stafford had one of the highest average depths of targets in the league. He had an ADOT of one or 8.4, which put him at the fourth highest for quarterbacks. Uh, now, when you combine the weapons he has around him and then a guy like TJ Hawkinson, who's coming into his second year, I'm very very above consensus on Matthew Stafford. I think I have Miss QB seven right now, but among some of those later quarterbacks, he's around Drew Brees, Carson Wentz, and Tom Brady. Those are all guys who I don't think have the upside Matthew Stafford has. A lot of the times we attribute that to rushing, but he really has the potential to have 
several back-to-back 400-yard games. So I really have moved him into my my second tier of quarterbacks uh, with the Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, that tier. And it really comes from the passing upset I've gotten. Darren Bevel has said he looks perfect coming back from his injury. It was a lower back injury, so it's not going to affect his throwing. Wow, perfect. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, better than anybody he's ever seen. Uh, <laughs> but at the, the best. At the end of the day, I'm incredibly bullish on him, and I think he's one of the few quarterbacks you can draft, and you're never going to have to worry about the position he's in. Uh, obviously, injury is the only concern there, but I think he's a guy who could go for 400 yards on a lot of nights. Yeah, I. it's funny. I don't really disagree with any of that. I actually, You mentioned like Breeze, Wentz, Brady. I have all those guys ahead of Stafford. I have Stafford 14, but... For me, like QB seven to like QB, I would say probably fourteen is like extraordinarily flat. So don't read too much into that. I like him like seven spots worse than Drew Brees. It's just you have to put a number by everybody's name. But I do think I think he's probably appropriately priced for me. I acknowledge you know all the upside that that you laid out there. Obviously, he was on pace for a career year last year. He played exactly eight games, so it's pretty easy to. Multiply all that by two, and it all would have turned out pretty well. Um, I think he's appropriately priced, though, just with the injury concerns. He might um, look good now. I just worry with the with a back uh, coming off of a back injury. I just have some concerns, just, just maybe some doubts, and not necessarily saying that it's not going to work out because it very well could. But I just think that where he's going, that's about right for me because you've you've got the the upside and the downside both kind of properly weighted i guess if that makes sense yeah and i definitely understand uh where he's going is probably a good weight i would be a little more bullish on him i mean you have a guy like matt ryan who's kind of in that second tier Mm -hmm. who we've really seen a ceiling and i think that he has some intriguing injury options i mean tom brady's so old that i'd be a little concerned about him and then drew Brees coming off of the the thumb injury i know those are all small nitpicky things but with age things get a little little tighter uh, the last thing I do want to mention about Stafford, and this more bodes well for how bullish you and I both are on Kenny Galladay, in weeks one through eight, he had 48 20-plus yard attempts. He led the NFL in that. Uh, and I just really want to emphasize that because there, I've heard a lot of fantasy analysts kind of down on Galladay because he's such a deep threat and he doesn't really have those intermediate routes. Mm-hmm. But Stafford's going to sling it to him all season. Well, and I'm I th- very I th- excited. I think, I think Galladay can actually run the intermediate routes okay, too. He's just so freaking good at the deep stuff. It's like that that's yeah. where they should use him. And he fits well with Stafford because Stafford's got a big arm, but he's not necessarily the most accurate guy in the world, especially when he doesn't have a clean pocket, which can be an issue in Detroit at times. So I had no particular order on this list. I will start with my quarterback since you went with your quarterback. Uh, and speaking of injuries, whoa boy, I've got Cam Newton um, a- as a sleeper. His, his ADP, or I guess his average rank on Fantasy Pros is QB 17. My rank of him is QB 12. And I also just wanted to address, I didn't put this in the news just so I could specifically talk about it here. Um, Belichick allegedly saying that he would consider anything when it comes to the Patriots and um, whatever's going to help them winning. And I guess he said that in the context of or making people think that that could mean a QB platoon between um, (laughs) those two guys in New England. 
Uh, I just don't think, I just flat out don't think that's going to happen. I think that's just Belichick talking, <laughs> honestly. I, I mean, he says he'll do whatever's best for the team, whatever's going to help them win. That's not going to help them win. When is playing two quarterbacks ever helped anybody win? Unless your second quarterback is Tim Tebow on Florida in 2007 when he's the goal line rusher. So if Cam's the goal line rusher, then okay, you've got me. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be his role with Jared Stidham as the guy in front. Obviously, this pick number one is contingent on Cam winning that job, which I think he will. Um, and obviously, if he doesn't, you're drafting him so late, or he's probably not even being drafted in your league unless you're drafting him. So you can cut bait super easy. So that that's part of the rationale there. The last time he was fully healthy in 2018, um, I say fully healthy, he was dealing with the shoulder, but he had his most efficient season passing, and it was a career, career low of 7.3 yards um, per average depth of target. Uh, and I think, again, that's with the shoulder. So maybe you see that come up. Even if you don't, you've got a guy like James White. You've got Edelman who can kind of mimic DJ Moore. Uh, maybe not as good of a player, but similar um, as far as that goes. And then he still had the 488 rushing yards and four touchdowns. And he, you know, he's probably not going to break 500, but I think Cam is still good for, you know, three, 400 yards and, you know, the touchdowns. It's hard to predict because he could have a, a big year where he ends up with like, Seven goal line touchdowns that the Patriots and they don't have a running back they trust. Maybe you just never know. But obviously he's a big risk when it comes to the to the injuries. He's got the foot and he's had the shoulder in the past. Although the shoulder was wasn't an issue last year before the foot, it doesn't seem like. But as I mentioned earlier, you just straight up don't have to pay for him at all. You either are taking him with your last pick. Unless you're in our league, maybe Dozy will take him earlier than that. <laughs> but in most leagues, you're not you're not paying for him at all. You're either taking him with your last pick, or you're letting him go undrafted, and he's just the guy that you're monitoring on, on waivers, um, seeing if he wins the job. And if he doesn't work out, you can pick up a, another quarterback. But if he does work out, if he returns to somewhat Cam Newton form, I mean, his upside. You talk about Stafford's upside. I think Cam still has higher upside. Um, to me than Stafford. Um, he's the current record holder for most rushing touchdowns in the Super Bowl era by a quarterback with 58, which that's a lot of rushing touchdowns for a quarterback. Um, since his top three finish in his rookie season, he's been a top four finisher in five of the five of seven seasons and has never fallen outside of the top eight. I'm just I'm taking him over guys like Daniel Jones, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, who are all um, ahead of him or right around him uh, on fantasy pros. Dalton, what do you think about Cam Newton? Um, well, let me first say, I think Cam Newton's a great player. I really enjoy watching Cam Newton. I cheered for him fervently in the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos to <laughs> only be disappointed. Um, but I'm going to start on off... the floor, Cam. Dive on the floor. Uh, oh, yeah, that was very frustrating. <laughs> the ball. Um, but I'm going to give the negative. I will say that because of his price, I do understand that Cam Newton is a very tantalizing option because he has, he probably has the, the highest upside of those quarterbacks who aren't getting drafted. Um, yeah. The, are, only, the only guy that I think you could say is comparable is Joe Burrow because we haven't seen him play in the NFL yet. And we just know he's a great college quarterback. So that's more of the unknown. Cam has the proven upside. Despite his schedule, I might throw Daniel Jones in there. He had 30-point games last season. It's a little exciting. Yeah, what uh, about the other games? Well, he can't hold on to the ball to save his life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's Jameis Winston, baby. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, no wonder you like him. But the, the little bit of my concerns, right now their offense is already looking banged up. Edelman was limited in practice, both straight padded practices, and that might just be contingency on his age. 
Uh, but then to kill Harry, who is supposed to be, you know, a little bit of their deep ball guy, their intermediate route runner, sat out completely. Additionally, uh, I know the injuries are an issue with Cam Newton, and that offensive line is not looking as uh, legit as I thought it was to start the season with Marcus Cannon opting out for the COVID restrictions. Those are a few of my concerns. And then I don't know if Bill is seeing something we're not or if he's just playing the name game with the media, but I, uh, Jared Stidham walked out today to start practice and has thrown seven picks over two padded training camps, which is to absolutely be fair, horrendous. To be fair, I don't think interceptions really matter in training camp. Mahomes threw three in one day and everybody flipped out. I'm not saying he's Mahomes. But. I don't disagree, <laughs> but you know, you're putting Cam Newton and first-team reps behind Jared Stidham. When it's already a limited training camp, I'm just – I'm really not as bullish on Cam because I don't know what the Patriots are doing this season. Well, I think I, the Patriots have two objectives. They 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 want to win. Obviously, they bring in Cam, but you you also want to bring Stidham along because until you draft another quarterback, he's probably their quarterback next year. I mean, they're not. The hope is that Cam has a good enough season that he's not there next year because he's there for so cheap this year. And that could make a lot of sense. It's just I don't know if the Patriots are even set on winning this season. Uh, just with the the number of opt-outs and the way they've treated their team, I think Belichick might be doing a little 4D chess here and working for a good pick in the draft, maybe tanking for Trevor. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if he has that in him to um, his competitive ego. To swallow his pride? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the Greg Popovich thing in basketball. It's like the Spurs can never fully tank because Pop's not going to let him. I don't know if Belichick's going to let him either. We'll see. All right, Dalton, we will get into the next four sleepers on each of our lists after this quick break. And welcome back. Um, just going to be real transparent. Had to take a break for actual real-life work responsibilities. Believe it or not, those do happen um, from time to time. Dalton, I know you said um, right after we hopped off the live pod earlier that your next sleeper pick was going to, we'll just say it's going to irk me. It's going to make me a little irritated, going to put me in a bad mood. So let's hear who you have. We have four more guys to get through each. I'm excited for this one. But first, just if you're aware and you are a potential advertiser listening right before this could have been your ad break. So please email <laughs> True. us at half point poor pod. We will take any dollars, cents, endorsements. But getting to my next sleeper. One guy per minute. That's what I had <laughs> cost. Going down the ADP. He has an ADP consensus from Fantasy Pros of 125. and is the running back 45. It is Zach Moss, the rookie drafted in the third round for the Buffalo Bills. Now, let me first say this. Uh, and we'll probably get into this deeper as we talk about it. I don't think Zach Moss is a running back who's going to usurp Devin Singletary's role, but <laughs> but I do think Devin Singletary is a between-the-20s running back. It's the way he was used all of last season. He only had two total goal-line carries all season. Uh, he gets charted for what are called green zone carries by Establish the Run. Those are either targets or carries within the 20. Uh, he only had three of those in total, so he had one target. Uh, it's not a positive area for him, and I know there's a lot of concern about Josh Allen taking up the rushing touchdowns, but Frank Gore had 15 green zone carries last season, so there's definitely still running back upside to get carries within the 20s. But now we get into the fun stuff. If you've listened before, I've talked about these stats from Zach Moss, but in college football, he was, and this is out of all FBS running backs, 
He was seventh in yards after the catch. He had 14.5 yards after the catch. That was second in FBS. He had 2.3 yards per reception, 170 yards after contact, and he had nine explosive play uh, receptions. And this comes out of pro football focus. Now, the good news about that is that after reading a couple beat reporters, they I'm really. Surprised you didn't, I'm surprised you didn't lead with this. Yeah. They really. Um, oh, I'm not going to talk about the news that just came out today. Everybody in training camp seems to think Zach Moss is the next best thing to slice bread. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm of the contention of that, but the beat reporters and overall, I think the NFL agrees that the Buffalo Bills, since their disastrous pick of Josh Allen, have done a great job at drafting for organizational needs. And. The argument is that Josh Allen's checkdown rate has been so low to running backs because he hasn't had a running back with the receiving upside. And that the the reason that the offensive coordinator drafted or was one of the big proponents of drafting Zach Moss was to help Josh Allen out in the short passing game because he needs a back who's explosive out of it. So there is some upside to be had there, and we could see a bit of a changing of the way the Buffalo Bills use their weaponry out of the backfield. You you know, the, the best receiver Josh Allen's probably had was an aged LaShawn McCoy out of the backfield. So that's one interesting part. And then finally, last season, they were at almost a 60-40 run-pass split. I think there's enough for a 12-13 to 13 touch game for Singletary, no problem, and a 10-11 to 11 touch game for Zach Moss and a couple of receptions in there. So I think that at his ADP, he's a good potential to hit some good value, but more importantly, uh, Devin Singletary's only have one season, so I don't want to hit him with the injury prone tag, but he did have a soft tissue injury last season, which is always something to watch for. And if Zach Moss gets a starting role in this offense, it could be electric. We saw kind of towards the end of last season, what if back getting all the duties that Devin Singletary got really means good fantasy value. And you can get Zach Moss in the double digit rounds. So there's a lot of value to be had. I think he's a guy who could really, uh, smash his ADP and at least return on in a top 30 running back context in the season. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to have a Zach Moss conversation without roping Singletary into it. I don't want to talk about Singletary too much. Um, spoiler alert. I might be talking about him next week on our um, breakouts or my guys, whatever we want to call it show. Um, possibly, but I really like Singletary. I know I like him more than you. And I guess what I would say on Zach Moss is I'm not necessarily sure he's going to just come right in and, and get that Frank Gore. It's not going to be the Frank Gore role. You mentioned he's more of a pass catcher, and I expect him to be used a little bit more that way. Um, but I don't know if he's going to come in and get that same volume at least right away as Frank Gore. So if you're drafting Moss, you might have to be prepared to almost have like a redshirt month. Um, or you might, you know, four, four to six weeks, you just probably won't be able to play him for a little while. And you've got to be okay with that. I mean, obviously he's a late round pick, but you can't have a quick tr trigger finger if, if you're taking him because he may not even be a guy you're thinking about starting for a while. And I tend to think Singletary is going to get more in the 12 to 13 touches. I mean, just looking back at his game log, it's funny. He actually has more catches than I remember. I mean, 29, not that many, but more actually. Yeah, twenty nine. Which I think for a Bills back, that's a pretty high number. Yeah, well, and especially well, considering he, you know, he did not, he didn't play for a while. And when he did, I mean, he he was hampered with that hamstring for a little while. So I think we might be, or some people might be, overstating just how much Moss is going to come in and take over that passing game. I agree with you; he's going to have a role, 
there could be upside. And if you can find a guy, even if it's not 10, even if it's eight touches a game and it's, you know, three to four receptions, two to three rushes, and then one, one or two, um, like valuable rushes, like inside the five, inside the 10, if you can get that, um, I mean, that's a valuable role for the pick you're potentially getting him at. I'm just, I'm not going to buy that. And I know you're not saying he's going to usurp Singletary. I just think that Singletary is going to have maybe a little bit of a bigger role than you um, suggested. His last uh, his last six games, he was 15, 21, 14, 17, 21, 15 in carries. And so I do think he's a guy capable of high volume and a very, very good player. But I do agree with you. I mean, Moss, again, He's a cheap running back, and if and if he hits to the tune of being a flex play, then you like the value. Well, and one thing that I when I came across researching for my uh, guys who are going to really excel at their position is I think Zach Moss is the discount cream hunt. Uh, he's in a situation where it's rush friendly. He has a back in front of him who's incredibly talented and elusive, but he's in a situation where there's a way for him to carve out value with both backs being in the system, and additionally, uh, you know. I'm not sold on Devin Singletary as a pass catcher. I'm I'm sold on him as a guy between the 20s. Uh, but he's also in a situation where if you have one injury, he probably pole vaults himself into the 3-4 area. And I think the same is said for Devin Singletary, where if we weren't seeing the Zach Moss third-round pick, Devin Singletary would probably be a lock in the third round. Yeah, so, that, I, I, I was going to say that. I think if Moss is never taken, then I think Singletary, I agree with you, is a late second, early third round. I know I would be taking him in the late second or early third round in, in all of my drafts. And I know you agree with this. And the reason, one of the reasons I have Zach Moss listed is they're behind a good line. They're mm-hmm. a rush first team. So I want some shares of the rushing backfield. Well, and you like having Buffalo. a rushing quarterback for as much as I crap on Josh Allen. You like having a rushing quarterback for your running backs. It, it just helps take some of the attention off of them. Yeah. And sometimes those broken scramble plays, the check down to the back, you can see a 20, 30 yard gain and they're exciting. So that's the, one of the reasons I haven't listed here is I want shares to the Buffalo Bills. And I just don't know if I want to take Singletary in the fourth round where I've seen him going occasionally. I do like him later. And I'm sure he might even end up on the My Guys episode later. Uh, <laughs> but who do you got next, Evan? Okay, so again, I did not order by ADP. So let's see who I want to talk about next. I'll go with my my late round running back. All my other guys are receivers and a tight end. Um, you might be a little surprised with this one. I didn't, and I didn't enter this exercise like thinking I was going to pick Tariq Cohen. That's just kind of where <laughs> where where I ended up. Um, fantasy pros, um, average rank is 42nd among running backs. Mine is 32nd. So a full 10 spots higher, which at that point in the draft is still pretty high. I mean, he was a top six or seven round pick last year after being an RB one and PPR. I don't have his, his half point ranking, but close to that and half point as well. Um, this is like 1000% a post hype sleeper. Um, and Tariq Cohen last year. So last year he caught 79 passes and we've already had this conversation a little bit. You can go back and listen to the bears preview, maybe for some more Tariq Cohen or Chicago bears talk. If you are so inclined on the NFC previews, but last year he caught 79 passes, but the big plays just didn't happen for him. I don't think he had his long was 31 yards, which I don't think that's really indicative uh, of who he is the year before he had, four plays over 40 and a few over 60. I'm, you know, you can't predict that. 
but I would say that there's almost no chance his longest play this year is 31 yards. I think that's indicative of a bad offense, a bad quarterback. And as we talked about on that NFC preview, I was subject to way too many Bears games for the half of the NFL season (laughs) that I lived in Iowa. And there were just so many situations where I'd look up at the screen and it's like Tariq Cohen's catching a pass three yards behind the line of scrimmage and he's being just bombarded by like three guys. It's it, it was it was just weird. And I know I talked about this last time too, but I think this just kind of sums up all of the Bears issues last year. Like in week one, he plays 40 plays out of the slot position, seven as the wide receiver lined up wide, only four plays at running back. And then but for the whole season, he finishes with 62% of his snaps out of the backfield. So it's like they entered with no plan or a bad plan or a plan they just decided to abandon after week one. They just never got in a rhythm. And I think that starts with them never really figuring out how they were going to use Cohen. I mean, he only had 64 carries last year. He was almost at 100, I think 99 the year before. I would expect somewhere in between um, that number. And obviously he had the eight touchdowns the year before, which is a big help. Um, and only a couple, I think it was only two touchdowns last year. So hard to predict touchdowns, but he's just the guy that he's an exciting player. He's arguably the fastest running back in the league and a guy that I think if the Bears want to have a better offense and not a bottom two or three offense and Matt Nagy would like to keep his job, they would do well by getting him involved because I think behind Allen Robinson, he's the second best player on that offense. Who else is better? Uh well, if we want to get into my Trico and dislike, we can jump into that. Here, real but quick. To, to be clear, I'm not talking second best fantasy player. I'm talking like second best, like real life football player. I think he's the second best real life football player. On the I offense. still, I st- I'm still not convinced that David Montgomery's last season was an outlier to what his potential well, he is. could definitely still improve, but just based on what we know right now, and obviously Trubisky, what he did the year before was. I don't think indicative of who he is. I know. I also don't know if he's as bad as he was last year. Could be Nick Foles this year. We'll see. But I just think they centered a lot of their offense two years ago around Cohen, and it worked. And he's a good route runner. He's a guy you want to get in space. And he's, I don't know. I just think that if they want to have a good season this year, Tariq Cohen's got to be a big part of it. And he's a guy that he's going so late. It's similar to Zach Moss. They're going in the same range. And I think his upside is maybe slightly higher than Moss's. Like, I'm not going to say he has like RB1, you know, high end RB2 upside, but he's got RB2, low end RB2, you know, flex upside to me. Well, in my opinion, I think Treat Cohen's second year was kind of a, an outlier. I, I tend to side with Evan Silva from Established Throw on this one. He doesn't even have Treat Cohen ranked in his top 150. Wow. Um, and I'm stealing some of this from Establish the Run. Tariq Cohen last season had a career high in targets at 104 and catches and still logged outside of the top 30 in uh, running backs. So he saw volume. He didn't have. He didn't really utilize that opportunity. Yeah. Can, can, I, can, can, can I just interrupt real quick, though? I just think that that goes back to what I was talking about earlier is a lot of his targets were not, not high-value targets, and he just wasn't set up to succeed. Like, if you went back and watched – a lot like I'm telling you, man, it's like he, he'll, he'll get a dump down where there's already like two. He's already surrounded. It's like he had no chance 
Well, we can get into that, but I mean, that that's an issue with coaching and Matt Nagy's still there. And I, I mean, I, I would talk about his usage. I think he's a better Tavon Austin who gets put in bad situations because they expect I don't him think to so. explode. Because he, he, can, he can actually run routes. He can actually run routes. I, but, but at the end of the day, if they're putting him in positions where his routes aren't efficient, I don't know if it's a guy. I well, but they did the year before, in. so you would hope that um, maybe they have, you know, if the quarterback is, if Trubisky's that bad this year, he gets benched, or he's just not the star to begin with. You well, would just hope that that situation improves. A career stat-defying year from Mitch Trubisky to make Tariq Cohen a viable fantasy player. And well, I don't even... That, that made Tariq Cohen a top 20 fantasy player. He doesn't have to be that to cash in on being the RB42 on, on Fantasy Pro's ranks right now. Well, I would say looking at consensus rankings, Tariq Cohen's only 11 spots below James White. I would say that he's probably priced a little high. I would say James White has more upside of booming his potential than I would Tariq Cohen. And I'm just not convinced that Tariq Cohen is a a special player and he's any more than like a guy who's good at gadget plays and can play in all, all three facets from special teams to receiving to running. Uh, and then my last concern is the bears offensive line. It's ranked 24th on established the run by Patrick Thorne. And I don't know how much they're going to be able to utilize a, a running back out of the backfield, as opposed to keeping him back to protect either Nick Foles is who's a statue or Mitch Trubisky, who can't look to one side of the field because mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to throw that way. I would be curious to see. I, I wish I wish I had um, reception perception, wish I had access to it because I'd be curious to see what his scores are. Because I just it, I I feel like if you went and looked at some of his highlights and some of his routes run, I would I think he would. I'm not saying he's like some great player. But I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty good, and I think he's a pretty good route runner. And like I said, I think if if that regime wants to stick around in Chicago. He's a guy that you you need to you, you need to get back on track. And again, I'm not using this as an argument, but he is in his contract year, so there is a little bit of that in play. Hey, he's doing yoga. He did yoga in the offseason. That should help him. Oh God. I can't wait for the NFL season to start so we stop getting these camp fluff fluff pieces about, you know, X bulked up <laughs> twenty five pounds this offseason. And did you, you see know, the Calvin Ridley Roto World blurb today? He did squats. <laughs> to be a great wide receiver. He's he's doing squats to hit that 1,000-yard season, baby. Well, and you know uh, every great 1,000-yard receiver has a great butt. And if they don't, <laughs> it's just out on them. Hey, man, you know what? Darwin Thompson squats a lot of weight. That guy, fantasy superstar if I've ever seen one. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, we're just going to move on from the butt pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can we can go to your number three, Tariq Cohen, my number four. Dalton, who is your number three? Um, so I'd, I've talked a lot about this guy already. I've been up and down on him with a ADP of 137. He's currently going as the wide receiver 50, according to Fantasy Pros consensus rankings. It's Preston Williams. I love Preston Williams. Uh, he's a great player. And the more you read about him, the more you really like him. So first, let me start this off. So far, Brian Flores has said that Fitzmagic is starting the season. That is a big, just a great thing for the fantasy community. Probably not a great thing for the future of the Dolphins. But if we can get five or six games of Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing pick sixes and then playing in you know negative game script situations, Preston Williams is going to start off the season great. I looked it up because I was curious. 
Pro Football Focus did a comparison of all the rookie wide receivers, and the closest comparison they had about a 99.8% match to this player was Stefan Diggs from 2015, which I found a little crazy to look at because I always kind of profiled Preston Williams as a big body Kenny Galladay-esque receiver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's actually insane because I think he is um, – He's he's not that much different from Devontae Parker in that he's just a contested catch guy. I don't see him as some technician who gets open. That's what I thought too. But then I jumped into his yards per route run and usage, and it was closest to DK Metcalf's last season. So he was very efficient at the routes he ran. He also had the second highest separation among Wookiee Rad receivers through nine games, uh, the one in front of him being DK Metcalf. I think mm. if you included the full game slate, A.J. Brown would probably beat him out there too. Um, but he was incredibly efficient, and that was over his first nine games where it takes you time to acclimate. Uh, really, his blow-up game was the game he ended up getting injured. Uh, and the last reason I'm big on him is his ADP is incredibly deflated. One, because Devontae Parker finished out so strong. But I've talked about those splits previously. The splits with and without Preston Williams are absolutely crazy. Um, and secondly, I, I don't believe Devontae Parker is a wide receiver one. I've, I've watched four years of him. Uh, Preston Williams is a guy who could be. Through nine weeks last season, he was the highest graded receiver on the Dolphins. He led the team in receptions at 32 and receiving yards at 428. He just outplayed Devontae Parker. They were close to each other, but he was also in his first year learning an offense. So overall, I think he's a guy who can smash ADP. He could eke up there into having some top 24 weeks, no problem. Uh, he's a better you know, touchdown monster than Devontae Parker is. He can get the red zone looks. Uh, Devontae Parker kind of needs the space in front of him to get into the end zone. So at the end of the day, it's one of the few Dolphins that I like, and that's because I can get him so late, and he looks so good. Yeah, we'll have to see how he does when defenses are more focused on on him, um, especially because really outside of he and Parker, they are kind of losing the others as far as receivers, it seems like. Yeah, uh, Albert Wilson, Alan Hearns all opted out. Yeah, so, and I mean, you have Gasicki, I guess, is their middle guy, because I mean, he's pretty much, like Devontae Parker, he's a pure outside guy. Only 6% of his um, plays were out of the slot last year. So he's going to be pure outside. So I'm going I'm just going to be curious to see how he does when when defenses are focused on him. I do agree he's got nice upside. Um I worry a little bit just about the injury. The ACL was week 9. So the Dolphins are seeming seeming like they're optimistic he'll be ready week 1, but to me, I mean there's a lot of other guys around there that you could say similar similar things about just as far as like their upside. That the injury concerns me a little bit, but I mean I don't hate it. I I think he's He's as good of dart throw, you know, wide receiver, 50-something pick as anybody, quite frankly. My real interest would be to see either Tua or Rosen, probably Tua, and how they play with him. It's not going to be Josh Rosen, buddy. (laughs) Josen Rosen. (laughs) I I think I saw a report today, and this just goes to show you how training camps are, that that Josh Rosen was well above Tua on the depth chart. But it's just... We're still in the the depths where every reporter wants to get their story out there because it's so early well in the, the season. And the Dolphins beat reporters have been like notorious for the for the fluff over the years. It it seems so hard to trust anything out of out of Dolphins camp. But you mentioned he showed the flashes last year. He had a top twelve finish last year, so he showed that upside at least on one occasion. 
in the limited time he was able to play. He averaged I think that seven, was the game he tore his ACL. I think I think you're right. He averaged seven targets a game, so he got nice volume. Um, yeah, he's a guy I, I could see it. I, I could totally see it. Um, my next guy is actually we're not nearly have any disagreement on my next three guys, quite frankly. I know that we're both in agreement on on these guys. Um my next guy, I'm gonna go to the tight end position, and I am gonna go Noah Fant. And I know we talked about him a little bit on our Broncos preview. Um, I just I still can't figure out why people are so low on Noah Fant. Have you seen like what what's the negative argument against this guy that's it that that's worse than other tight you know, like obviously every tight end in that range is kind of stinky, but I I just what's the negative argument against him? Well, and I didn't read the full article, so I don't want to misquote him. He doesn't listen to the podcast. But JJ Zacharyson <laughs> of Late Round Quarterback <laughs> had an article uh, that was specifically why he was JJ. Not I know you're out there. Yeah, I know you're listening. Uh, specifically about why he's not drafting Noah Fant. And first, and if you listen to the Broncos take I had, there's a lot of concern about Drew Locke's ADOT and what that relates to Noah Fant as a player. Secondly, the the addition of weapons. Uh, just makes it so the target share is a little something he's going to be vying for. And last but not least, it, Vic Fangio, they don't b- really believe in him as a, calling the plays appropriately. So that's the argument against Noah Fant. Uh, the argument for Noah Fant is he's an athletic phenom and might be as good a wide receiver as Jerry Judy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I don't want to so, take your thunder. Yeah. So, okay. I was, because I really, like I said, I just, I see him ranked so low. Like he's um, ADP or average rank. I keep saying ADP, average rank on Fantasy Pros 14. I have him eight. And it's like, I look around at the other tight ends who are, uh, your other people have above him or guys that I have um, right below him. I think I'm actually going to move him up another spot when I do my rankings again to seven. Um, I just don't understand why people, are taking the mid-round plunge on like Gronk and Tyler Higby and like other guys in that I don't know who else is in that. Hawkinson's in that range and he's a he's a guy that Hawkinson is one of my honorable mentions. Um, he's got the ankle injury that he is still apparently dealing with. That was the tiebreaker between um, these between those two tight ends for me. But I mean, he's only one of two tight ends in NFL history to have recorded. Um, or he has this only two tight ends, excuse me, only two tight ends in NFL history have more 100 yard receiving games as a rookie than this guy had. He's the sixth tight end in league history to ever have two, to ever have multiple 100 yard games in a season. And we all know rookie tight ends, you pretty much, it's pretty much a throwaway season as far as like production, um, producing like actual fantasy numbers most of the time. Um, the guy is 6'6", 249 pounds, a 39-and-a-half-inch vertical. He's just a freak. He, he's a freak athlete, and that's why he was a first-round pick. That's why he was the 20th overall pick in the NFL draft. Last year, he had 40 receptions, 562 yards, and three touchdowns. That's the most catches and yards by a Denver rookie tight end ever. Um, what you really like is his 14.1 yards per catch. Ranked second among all tight ends. That's only behind George Kittle. Obviously, Kittle is just elite when it comes to to that stat. So, I for me, some of the concerns about volume, I'm not sure that's wrong. I'm just not sure it matters. He's a guy that you feel like 
I mean, who it, pretty much George Kittle after that, who's be, who, who do you feel more comfortable at the tight end position breaking off a big play? I mean, the guy's got, got speed. He's got size. He's got everything you need to be a big play guy in the middle of the field. And I actually think the added weapons are going to help him because he's going to have more room to operate less attention on him with more talent on the outside. Um, and he also never had more than 37 yards when Joe Flacco was the quarterback. So I would be curious if he would have actually had, and not that Allen was a good quarterback last year and not that Locke was even great, but if those two guys are the quarterback, all 16 games, I'd be curious what his numbers would have ended up as and what his hype would be coming into this season. Cause I think that might be, it, it would be a little bit more excitement surrounding that guy. I don't want to rain on the parade, but with Drew Locke in the, the final five games of the season, uh, Noah Fant didn't, he drew under three targets on average. And I'm just looking at his game logs right now. You know, starting from week 12 on, when you had Drew Locke, he had, he had 113 yard game and a touchdown where he got four targets. And then other than that, he he really didn't have anything going. He had a 56-yard, a 5-yard, a 10-yard, and a 4-yard game. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say that I have like tons of faith in Drew Locke. We've covered that extensively um, when talking about the Broncos. What I will say is that they just treated him with such kid gloves, and we talked about this too all last year, just from the outset of, yeah, he was hurt, but then, oh, we're going to hold him out a week and play Allen because we want to bring him in you know, back, we're going to bring him in the start in this exact game. And then even when he was playing, there was a ton of running the ball. They were winning the winning games, running the ball. I just think that from um, rookie, the second year, not that you're going to say drew lock unleashed, but you're, you're going to see the offense open up a little bit more. So I'm not super concerned about the volume. And like I said, if the volume's not great, I think he's a big play guy. I think he's a guy that could easily have a lot more than three touchdowns too. And he's just a lot more like Tyler Higby, Gronk, Evan Ingram, like all those guys that are in that range for me. I'm taking the shot on a guy that I just think is a specimen and could be a very, very, very good tight end in this league. What I'll say is that because Noah Fant is so athletic, I think he's worth risking the draft capital because the guys you would take later than him are guys like Irv Smith and Eric Ebron, Jonu Smith. Those guys are probably going to start the season on waivers. You're just not going to really be losing a lot on it. The The upside with Fant is just higher than, like, Eric Ebron, we know who he is as a player. You want two touchdowns out of him to perform. The, I, like I read off earlier, with Drew Locke, he had four catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. <laughs> and that's on four targets, mm-hmm. four catches. He caught up. He has such amazing upside that if there's volume that goes with that, he's yep. top four, top five wide, uh, tight end in the league immediately. So he's worth the risk, and I that's definitely why he's on this sleepers episode. And I de- I definitely agree with Evan and everything you said on that. So just looking at the tight end position, the only I'm not saying this is where he's going to finish, obviously, because I haven't ranked eighth. The only two tight ends that, if healthy, I feel almost 100% certainty that he is not going to finish ahead of are Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. You can reali- you can paint a picture where he can, he can he can finish above Zach Ertz, Mark Andrews, Hunter Henry, Darren Waller. Like those guys are good, but there's there's nothing like crazy special about that group, you know? Like I just think that he's got he's got the upside, man. And 
I'm taking the chance on him um, over a 31-year-old Gronk, and I have Gronk ranked fairly high, but I'm not taking him over that guy. I would agree. I don't see the upside as high uh, when it comes to Noah Fant. All right, give me your next guy. Give me your next guy. Let's go. Uh, this here's another guy that I've kind of jumped into and talked about before. You heard about him on the first pod when I talked about Sony Michelle. Uh, he's RB fifty four with an ADP of Sony Michelle is your sleeper. My sleeper is <laughs> Damian Harris. Uh, Damian Harris might categorize as a post hype sleeper uh, in the sense that last season everybody was kind of in on Damian Harris having a role, and I think he came out week one. I drafted him last season even. Uh, he came out week one, didn't touch the ball, uh, was a healthy scratch probably half the season. But this year we have real reasons to be excited. I know we talked about the madness that's been Patriots training camp, but one thing that's looked good is that when it comes to first-team reps, as far as running back, he's getting Damian them. Harris has had seven, uh, which outranks everybody. Second is Rex Burkhead. One person I'm not going to worry about and don't take this as trashing him is I don't believe that James White needs those reps. He knows the offense. In and no, out. yeah, and and White, I mean, even if he's – they'll probably have a lot of two running back sets, and White will probably just line up in the slot straight up sometimes too. Yep, and I think Lamar Miller right now is deflating Damian Harris's draft stock, which I think is really good because Lamar Miller still is on the pup. He isn't past his physical. He had an ACL tear last season. Uh, I talked about him last week when we talked about it in the something or nothing. I think he's a nothing in that backfield. It's just a veteran in the room. I think Damian Harris has clear cut first and second down duties. Rex Burkhead's entering his 30-year-old season. He's never been a guy to carry the load. He's a guy who comes in and breaks your hearts when you're a Chiefs fan two years ago in the playoffs. Uh, But he's not a guy who carries the load for the team. And Ivan Fears, who's the running back coach for the Patriots, had a great quote uh, coming into this year. He said that the one thing that Damian Harris needs to work on is his catching ability and his pass protection, and that's been a big focus in training camp. Uh, Damian Harris is one of the only backs who I think would do well in that. And he was great at Alabama. He was a producer. He had two 1,000-yard seasons. His last season, he only had 924 yards, but he also had a career-high 22 catches with 204 receiving yards. So he was really a guy who showcased at least somewhat of a a three-down back ability, uh, getting three years at Alabama is kind of impressive considering the talent that walks in and out of that room. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, uh, Damian Harris is just a guy. He's late in the draft. And one of my general rules is with the Patriots running back by committee is you take the guy who's the cheapest because he can still hit value. Uh, Rex Burkhead might be cheaper, but I don't want (laughs) to touch that monster. So the argument against him would, number one, it would start with, you know, Sony Michelle was pretty much hot garbage all of last year. And I know he was only a rookie, Damian Harris, but he only played five snaps last year on offense. So, and obviously guys can make jumps from, from rookie the, the second year for sure. But I'd have a little concern with that. It, it, you know, they, they clearly are not enamored with him by, by any means. And I would also just, you mentioned Lamar Miller and then just also Sony Michelle. We don't know. I mean, Michelle could play week one. Like that hasn't been ruled out. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And I'm not saying that I even like Sony Michelle if he does, but the role is just, I think it's unclear. And even if neither of those guys are around, I mean, we've seen this enough times with the Patriots that we just don't know who the guy is going to be. It could be Burkhead. Um, could be Damian Harris. 
It could be guy not on team yet. It could be <laughs> training camp hero JJ Taylor with the diving touchdown catch in in practice earlier and a one handed grab. <laughs> uh, so I again, this is another situation where yeah, you're you're not out hardly at all if this doesn't hit, and if it does hit, you feel great because you got a running back who you can use super late in the draft. But he's a guy that I'm proud like I'm fine taking him at price, but I'm not taking him with any kind of expectation of him busting out. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I'll say he's going around guys like Naheem Hines, AJ Dillon, uh, who don't really have Carlos Hyde, who don't really have a lot of upside uh, in their offenses. They have a role that they're going to follow. I think Damian Harris is one of the backs in the back end of your drafts where you can take him. And it's really about watching it and rotating the highly explosive uh Running backs. I think another one who I don't have, but he's an honorable mention is Chase Edmonds. Mm-hmm. Back of the draft, you take them, and if they get a good role, they're really going to explode. They're not going to be somebody who gets you five, six points every week, and you're never excited to start them. Yeah. No, sure. Yeah. If it does work out, I mean, it could end up being a guy where, I mean, hey, if they turn to a flex, I mean, that that's great for, for where you took them. So, okay, we'll move on to, to my number three, or no, my number two. And I should just say, the other thing about Damian Harris before I move on is he is, I f- I feel like it's just a really big leap of faith, don't you? Is it does it feel like a really big leap of faith for you just because we know so little about this guy? I do, um, and I took the leap of faith last season. Um, but <laughs> you, the, oh, yeah, you drafted him, right? Yeah, I but do. With, so I've been on the Damian Harris train two straight years. <laughs> um, but with the way you're the only passenger, welcome. <laughs> But with the way running back goes this year and the lack of any upside in the later rounds, you got to start just throwing darts at the board rounds 10, 11, and 12. And he's one of the guys who I think is at least a a better bet at dart throws with what we're seeing out of camp. And I hate reading into camp, but you just can't read into last year because there's nothing to go off of. Yeah, five offensive snaps. I mean, there's literally no NFL film on the guy. I did see the Boston Globe hypothesized, I, I don't think they know any true fact on this, that Damian Harris got into Tom Brady's doghouse early. <laughs> Last season in training camp, he missed a he missed a guy coming in on the outside and Tom Brady got touched because of it and it was the pass pro fault of Damian Harris and some people think that that really just put him, it, it just ended his season with Tom. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that's really what happened, but it's just something to keep in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my number two, this guy is actually my number one, but I have to do it in this order because you'll you'll see why later. You, you'll see why later, trust me. Um, my number two, but actually number one, is um, Marquise Brown, um, Hollywood Brown from the Ravens. His fantasy pros ADP is wide receiver 30. My rank is wide receiver 25. So not much different, but if you want to play the range of outcomes game, I mean, his upside is top, I, I'd say top like 15, 12 to 15 guy. He's a guy that he just has that superstar profile to me, like what we saw in in year one, quite frankly. And on our buy sell podcast, or one of them, we did talk about him quite a bit. We discussed at length um, the injury. He was dealing with you know a Liz Frank when it came to the NFL, which is what Cam Newton missed the entire um, the entire season with, and he he suffered that injury in like December, early December of the year before. So, he, and you're really not fully healed from that for about a year. So he was pretty much never healthy last year, never completely healthy. And 
even so, he caught 66.7% of his targets, which is top 20 in the NFL. He's easily the best receiver on his team. And assuming that he is healthy this, this year, which as of 10.06 p.m. on this th- fine Thursday night, Hollywood Brown is healthy. I'll knock I ex- on wood. I ex- yeah, knock on wood. I expect an increase in targets, not just because I don't love any other receivers there, which I don't, not just because of that, but because I just think the caliber of player that he is and that he can turn into just demands that, quite frankly. And I think that he's just like, he's just, like I say, he's a superstar mold. He's a classic guy you could see taking the jump from first to second year, in my opinion. In his six games last year that he had five or more targets, he averaged 13.3 fantasy points per game in half point scoring. That would put him um, on a per game basis at wide receiver seven. And on a per game basis, that's ahead of Julio Jones. And again, that's not what I'm saying he's going to be, but that just shows you even last year when he wasn't healthy, how productive this guy can be. Um, He's kind of in that Tyreek Hill mold. And I think he, you know, as far as just size, speed, everything. And he's one of those guys that's good enough. He's not, we talked about gadget players, Tavon Austin. um, You think maybe Tariq Cohen is, maybe he is, maybe he's not. This guy's not that. This guy's a good enough player that he is just a legit wide receiver. And he played at 157 pounds last year. Um, and I'm going to assume a lot of that was just because with the injury, he he just he just probably lost weight because he wasn't able to, to lift weights to work out, do all of that stuff that he needed to do. So he's up like to 180, which I think is going to help him as well. Dalt, I, I know you like this guy too. I may have even stole him from you. <laughs> When I sent you my list first, that may just be my advantage in sending you my list earlier. Um, any thoughts on Hollywood? Uh, well, just to our listeners, Evan and I shared our list just so you guys didn't hear the same players. I Marquise Brown is just a guy I love this season. First, I'm going to give the small uh, negative I've heard about him, and I do think there is some substance to it. Adam Levitin of Establish the Run has said that there is a litany, and I don't know the names, so don't ask, of people who have tried to project small, smaller framed wide receivers into top fantasy stardom. Well, I'm sure Tavon Austin would be um, one of those. Oh, absolutely. But Uh, the list, maybe a guy like Jerome Brown, um, who's been a fast guy that can't ever stick anywhere, but go on. But the list uh, starts and stops at top 12 wide receiver seasons of a guy under 180 pounds at Tyreek Hill. He's the only player to have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the one factor is that you're betting on an outlier. I understand that. I do think Marquise Brown is an outlier. Uh, the one game we might have seen him at peak health was his division game in the playoffs last season where he played the only game of the season. He played over 60% of the snaps. He had seven receptions, 126 yards, and he had 85% of the team snaps. He And it was a game where the Ravens were playing from behind, which is another thing I would project them to be in uh, at least more neutral games. Yeah, yeah. No, I, don't, I don't think they're going 14-2, and two, even if Colin Cowherd thinks they're going 16-0 and 0 this year. I, yeah. think, I think they're in for a tiny bit of regression. They might not be pounding people every week. Absolutely. And with all that, there's, I mean, Miles Boykin is behind him. Um they brought in Des Bryant. They're so desperate for some wide receiver help. Yeah, Willie, uh, the corpse of Willie Sneed is still moving around out there. Obviously, it's it's kind of similar to the Chiefs in that you've got Hollywood and you've got Mark Andrews, and then you don't 
feel great, although we might talk about the other Chiefs guy in a minute. You don't necessarily <laughs> feel great about anybody else there. Yeah, and I mean, it really starts and ends with the fact that I, I would chart them as a team that's going to throw more. I don't think they're going to be able to run the balls effectively, especially with the loss of Marshall Ganda. He takes a second-year leap, and he's healthy, and he's probably maybe behind Mark Andrews on the depth chart as far as targets go. But other than that, he's the the best and most explosive option on, on that offense outside of Lamar Jackson running the ball. Mm-hmm. It's just very electric. You want shares of good offenses. He is in a good offense. I Pro Football Focus doesn't project him for a thousand yard season. I would project him for a thousand yard season without a lot of struggle doing that. Well, and what you like about him, and it's similar to Tyree Kill, he's not as good as Tyree Kill. I don't think he's probably ever going to be as good as Tyree Kill, but he's a guy who can take the top off of defense, you know, a la Tyree Kill, Will Fuller, some of those guys, but he can do more other things that you might not. You're gonna have variance because he's gonna have boom games and he's gonna have games where it it just doesn't it, the deep balls don't hit. But I don't think you're gonna see as much variance for him as a guy who can't do much else. And I will say he does have that profile that everybody thinks he's a deep threat, but he played the majority of his snaps out of the slot, mm-hmm. which is a fantasy gold mine. Uh, the the biggest struggle for me is another one of my guys, uh, Michael Gallup and Hollywood Brown usually go about the same spot, and I'm always in a position where I don't know who I'm going to take because I really like both of them in fantasy this year. Yeah, I'd have to look at our actual um, draft order where the turns are in our league because if I'm ahead of you like around – where he's going, I can tell you're not getting him in our league. So he's uh, like, I'll take he, Gallup. <laughs> he's like one of the guys that I don't really want to leave a draft without. Quite frankly, you mentioned the slot. He did line up. Thirty-five percent of his snaps were in the slot last season. So overall, I would just chart him as a guy who can play anywhere. Um, I think Evan and I are both bullish, bullish on him, and I think he's a guy who easily finishes. I don't think outside of injury, there's concern he doesn't finish in the top twenty-four from me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I think I have okay. I have him twenty five, so I basically have him right there. But it's so close, like in that range of guys. But yeah, like I don't have concern outside of injury of him finishing below the top thirty. Um, I just, I, I just think he's gonna take a major leap this year. I agree. Uh, moving on to a guy who I think is gonna take a major leap. All right, you're number one, right? This is your number one. Well, I'm just going down the line, but he's also a guy who the more I read about, the more I kind of loved him. Uh, <laughs> he's the wide receiver 59 with an ADP of 166. Uh, it's Alan Lazard of the Green Bay Packers. Really? And the more you read, the more you loved. Okay, uh, go on. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, and this has been, I won't beat a dead horse, but the Packers just didn't care to draft anybody for the current year's offense. Uh, maybe A.J. Dillon gets some looks. But moving down the line, Alan Lazard is just Aaron Rodgers' guy. And there are a couple of reasons for that. I'm usually not a person who references video, but everybody knows that the stereotype of Aaron Rodgers is he holds the ball until he sees the good good look or he throws it away. He doesn't throw picks. There are about 20 of Alan Lazard's targets where Alan Lazard has a DB on his butt. They're, they're, he's completely covered, and Rodgers just throws it to him. Uh, there's the comments last season where Aaron Rodgers told Mike McCarthy that Lazard had to be in the lineup, uh, that he demanded Lazard play on the field, and those are good factors. It looks like he's above Equinemia St. Brown and Mark Scantling, Valdez Scantling. Um, yeah, the, pa- so, the Packers really have some names at wide receiver. Yeah, they do. Uh, another reason why I like Lazard, it's easy to say. 
Um, also, uh, Devontae Adams was in plain street clothes this today for practice. And I'm not going to say he's not going to start the season, but he did have some kind of like leg issue in the other day. But th- it's kind of like Tyree Kill, where there's really, we really don't know anything. Yeah. And uh, prayers for Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. <laughs> but I will say that Alan Lazard is one of the few receivers who have a real shot at wide receiver one target share if uh, Devontae Adams goes down. There's no one behind that. I mean, we're at this point in the season where Robert Tanyan is getting hyped because he's one of the few people who's catching balls effectively at practice. And Lazard is also just a guy who really balled out. So <laughs> his first chance to play was after week nine when Adams got injured. Uh, since that game, Lazard caught 35 of 51 passes thrown his way. That's a 69% nice receiving mark and 13.6 <laughs> yards per reception. But most importantly, his passer rating win target was 117.9, fifth highest in the league, higher than Devontae Adams being targeted than Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, the volume's a lot different. Um, but Pro Football Focus also charted Lazard as the third highest graded receiver in single man coverage, and I think he sees a lot of that. Historically, excluding last season, Green Bay has been a treasure trove of wide receiver twos. Uh, Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings was a great year. Uh, and Lazard fits a Jordy Nelson comp very well. They're big bodied, they're clean receivers. They don't. He's not. Wow. He's not. He's not nearly as fast as Jordy. I think no. Jordy actually had legit speed, but and, I, but I don't think either of them really blow you away with their athleticism. And I think you just get him at such a price in an offense that's going to throw and has an effective quarterback that it's something worth the dart throw. What are your thoughts on Lazard, Evan? Well, I don't mind it, and what I'll say about it is. Really, since um, Jordy is no more there, and the Jordy Cobb um, and even Devontae Adams, ever since the wide receiver two role has been wide open, we've been reaching for guys like Geronimo Allison, like Marquez um, Valdez Scantling, because we've thought, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, with the Packers, if you can find the right wide receiver two, it's good, it could work out great for you. I think expectations are a little tempered with this guy just because I think there is seems to be some industry-wide concern with Rodgers. And I actually have Rodgers ranked fairly high. So I, I actually I think I have him top 12. I don't know exactly where you have him at this point. But I don't know. It's funny. You mentioned that they didn't really make any effort to add anybody in the offseason. The one guy they actually did add who could have maybe played, Devin Funches, he, he opted, he opted out. out. So, I mean, yeah, you, I – I think you're right. He is the guy who kind of separated himself as Rogers guys as a number two receiver. Um, I'm not so sure he is anything more than just like a meh NFL player, but I think he's fine. And I think if you, I mean, I still think Rogers is a great quarterback. So, I mean, yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask is I, how you feel about Rogers. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think Rogers is a, I don't know if I can put a number on it, but I, I, you know, obviously I have Mahomes, so I don't want him quarterbacking my team. But just <laughs> as the saying goes, I'll take that guy quarterbacking my team. You know, I, I'll take Rogers still any day of the week. I think he's still a good quarterback. He definitely has his flaws. You mentioned holds on to the ball too long, and all of the stuff off the field in the locker room, not off the field like legal, off the field like he's a big baby and a big diva sometimes and tough to deal with, but. I don't know. I think I think this is a guy that you could find 
this is a this guy could be a bye week fill in for you. This guy could be a maybe he's a a wide receiver three. If not, he's a bye week fill in. I think he's a nice target late in the drafts. He's not. He's not a guy with the same type of upside, at, obviously not as the guy I mentioned because he's ranked a lot higher, but he's not like crazy upside, but he's a guy that at his price, I could definitely see myself drafting. Absolutely, and that's that's where I stand with him. I, I think if we see a major return to Rodgers of two years ago, you you can get a lot of value out of it. Well, and we've talked about, and we've talked about Aaron Jones a lot in the 19 touchdowns, 21 total, 19 rushing. It's like, well, you know, they're a good offense. They're still going to score. If he doesn't have 19 rushing touchdowns, you got to figure Rogers is going to be back close to 30 passing touchdowns instead of 24. Like he had last year. Well, and, and was it three seasons ago the the skeleton of Greg Jennings showed up and was a fantasy <laughs> superstar with Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> I mean, he like, was it was it Greg? No, I think it was James Jones. Was yeah, it was James, James Jones? Jones. Yeah. Oh man. So th- there's definitely volume to be had there, and I, I do like my as you can tell, I like my dart throws being players on good teams where you you get a better option, and I think mm-hmm. you agree with that. Yeah, for sure. And to that note, this is. A little bit less of a dart throw, but it is a dart throw. And it's a guy in, you know, you, you can't you can't draw up a better offense to be in um, for a receiver who you want to have boom potential. And that is uh Miko Hardman of the Kansas City Chiefs. Last year, um this guy only had 26 receptions for he did have 538 yards and six touchdowns. His average rank, uh wide receiver 52. My rank uh, 42. So I'm a full 10 spots higher on this guy. And this is just the, this is the type of receiver I want to take a shot on at this point in the draft. I know you like Jamison Crowder, but this is where you and I differ. Like I'm looking for like Miko Hartman, like guys like that in this range. Maybe, you know, depending on team structure, if I really feel like I need safety, maybe, maybe I'll look at Crowder, a guy like Crowder, but I want upside. And this guy, I mean, he has to have the most upside of anybody outside of the top, like 40, 45, right? Like, it doesn't get much higher than this guy's upside in that range, I wouldn't think. I already told you how efficient Hollywood was, and this is why I had the flip-flop him here. Um, I already told you how efficient he was um, and how good he was last year. He caught two-thirds of his targets. Um, Hollywood had 30 more targets than Miko Hardman last year and only outpaced him by 46 yards and one touchdown. That is uh, Seth Kaiser of the athletic that had that stat. I mean, and Hollywood's a good player. That's nothing against Hollywood. That is insanity. He had 46 more yards than a guy that he had 30 more targets than in Miko Hardman. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy on 41 targets, 26, 26 receptions, 538, six touchdowns, almost 21 yards per reception. Alvin Kamara, again, this is a running back. He's not going to have as high of a yards per reception almost no matter what. But just for some perspective, eight, he had 81 receptions and five fewer yards than than Hardman did last year. Just as you're going down the line of receivers, the next guy who had fewer, like that had fewer receptions than him on the list is Keelan Cole, and that's 24 <laughs> receptions for 361 yards. So basically, like every guy between 538 yards and 361 had like significantly more reset, like at least 15 more receptions. Um, 
just, just it's interesting to look back. Tyree Kill's rookie season, 61 receptions, 593 yards. He obviously was much more effective on the ground, 24 for 267. And then he took a big leap. I'm not saying Hardman's going to take that leap, number one, because Tyree Kill is there and he's very good. And obviously Kelsey is there. Um, what I am saying is I think he can make Sammy Watkins irrelevant. I think he can make Demarcus Robinson irrelevant. I think and those guys are still good football players. You still want them on the Chiefs team. You want them on the offense. They'll make plays here and there. But just I think you could see a situation where he emerges as that clear third pass catcher, not named Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of course, on that offense. And just to show you how crazy 20.7 yards per reception is, and that's definitely not sustainable, by the way. That's probably going to go down. But just to show you how crazy that is, Tyreek Hill has never had more than 17 yards per reception. So that's just that's just ridiculous. That I, That's just insane. And I remember the talk with Tyreek Hill after his first season is people didn't think it, it, it was repeatable. People didn't think that on that volume that he could do that and that he could be a legit receiver, that he was kind of a gadget player. And I think Hardman, it's a little bit the same. I don't think he's as good as Tyreek Hill. And again, Tyreek Hill is still there. But at wide receiver 52, you can't beat that. So let me first say, this is another guy that Evan and I agree on immensely. Um, first, I just want to touch on something and how how frustrating uh, Sammy Watkins is as a player. <laughs> uh, Sammy Watkins last season had 100 targets in the second best offense in the NFL. He finished on a per-game basis as wide receiver 52. <laughs> I don't Still know how you do. Still, okay, that's a low blow. Uh <laughs> Uh, I don't know how you do that with Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to you. Uh, obviously, Sammy Watkins had a good playoff run, but Sammy Watkins was also going the fifth or sixth round of drafts last season. Mm-hmm. He didn't perform except for the Jacksonville game where he had three touchdowns, like 200 yards. And then the playoffs. He literally okay. performed week one and then like weeks like 18 through 21. <laughs> he is the – I mean, don't draft Sammy Watkins, just plain and simple. Um, and Sammy, if you're watching, I love you, but we're not drafting you. Uh, a, Going to give some positives for Hardman. Uh, one thing, and we don't know the status of this, and this is this is pretty deep roster speculation, but Ricky Seals-Jones was carted off the field yesterday. They don't know if he's going to be able to play the season. Uh, the reason that's important is Mikael Hardman was best out of the slot last season. <laughs> he actually finished second in the NFL in yards per route run from the slot with 2.71. He was 47% of his snaps were out of the slot, too. And the reason I mentioned the Seals-Jones injury is it could lead to Kelsey being in more blocking formations and taking Kelsey out of the slot where Kelsey does like to play as well. It just gives you a little more upside. I know Evan mentioned the Crowder versus Hardman, but I, I think it really comes down to roster construction on those two. If I take receivers early, Hardman's a guy on one of my team. If I end up loading up on running back early, Crowder's probably the guy because he has a safer floor. But Hardman is a guy who can legitimately win you a week on his mm-hmm. back he's a guy who could have 30 points because he catches four balls and takes two to the house and that's not outside of his fantasy uh upside yeah he's, i mean just just watch the guy's highlights last year he's not as fast as tyree kill we have video proof of that now but he is he is jockeying for you know the second spot basically he, he and he's is, an incredibly clean route runner i remember mm-hmm. a curl last year where he caught it on the curl and then he moved past the DB who was going to hit him. I mean, the guy is incredibly good in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Well, and, and the Mahomes, everyone remembers the Titans game, the Mahomes off one leg jumping throw. It's like what people forget about that play is Harbin made those Titans defenders look like they were in cement. Um, mm-hmm. He just blew past those guys. Remember the Patriots game when he caught the deep ball. I think that I think that may have been Wasp. I think that may have been the Super Bowl play. Um, he caught he, he caught the deep ball against the Patriots and the safety was there. And Harbin just scooted on around him. It looked like the guy was in cement. And then obviously against the Ravens, he had the big play where he got behind the defense. And um, let's just say that that's one guy on this offense that Tyree Kill's not catching up to in the end zone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, And at the end of the day, one thing I'll say for anybody in a dynasty who's listening is Hardman is a must grab. Mm-hmm. Demarcus Robinson signed a one-year contract. He's probably gone next year. And Watkins uh, is gone after next year too. Yeah, Sammy Watkins has made it his intent. He wants to stay in Kansas City, but I Hardman is a guy you can't keep and lower on the pecking order because of how skilled he is. Uh, he's a guy who's going to be in a great offense for years to come. And eventually, when Tyree Kill is gone, uh, which will be a sad day for Chiefs fans, Nicole Hardman looks to be a guy who can replace him rather mm-hmm. effectively. And I will say this rank, or yeah, this rank at forty-two, it's like pure aspiration like there's a world where you know those guys are still more of a factor than we want and hardman is not that much different than last year as far as like he's not going to be useful for you because unless you're in a best ball because you're never going to know when they actually start him because he could go for zero points could go for 30 but i guess what i will say is like i like i already said i get this is just this is just the exact type of player that i want to take that chance on and he's super cheap and okay let me put it this way Dalton if I told you that Michael Harmon finished the season as the wide receiver 20 would you think that's like crazy is that outside of the realm of possibility no I wouldn't but I would also say he would have spiked weeks and so you would be very sure. happy or unhappy as an owner but sure. no I would say it's definitely possible yeah and I again that's just like in his range of outcomes so that that just showed like for a guy that's going 52 to have that kind of upside like you like that the one thing that maybe took a little bit of wind out of my sails was that they still have him returning punts and kicks you like your guys who are going to be more involved in the offense if they get moved off of that duty, that's kind of a clue that maybe they're going to be more involved. But I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not concerned. I, I think. I think he's going to be in for a nice year. As a Chiefs fan, I like that he's on special teams still. Yeah. No. He he definitely flipped a couple of games for the Chiefs, including most notably the Texans game in the playoffs with his kick returns. Oh yeah. Uh, so I think we're about ready to wrap it up. But Evan, do you have any honorable mentions? Well, I mentioned Hawkinson as an honorable mention. My other guy, and I'm surprised you didn't put him on your list. This is why I didn't say him. You mentioned him in our conversation. Ronald Jones, definitely an honorable mention for me. I just did not stick him on my list because I talked about him in the guys that we changed our opinion on. I like Ronald Jones. I have him RB24. I think that's a lot higher, like a handful of spots higher than most. And we'll talk about this more maybe, but... RB2 is looking really rough this year, and so he's a guy that I could see myself taking the plunge on. Well, I I left Rojo off because of how high I have him now. I Like Mm -hmm. Evan knows, earlier today I did a best ball draft. I took Rojo in the fourth round, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The guys I have who I didn't get to, Jalen Rieger is a guy who I think is going to explode. I didn't put him because everybody and their mother has him as a, as a <laughs> sleeper, and I just didn't want to rehash everything. Training mm-hmm. camps raved about him. He's going to start. Draft him when you can. 
Uh, Chris Herndon is a player I unfortunately didn't get to fit onto it, but he profiles to be the second receiver in the Jets' offense, which is going to be horrific. Mm-hmm. But he's also a post-hype sleeper. After the four-game suspension last season, he kind of fell off the face of the earth. Four-game suspension, that, and then Darnold missed time with the kissing disease. It was just a mess last year. But he was a guy that last year people thought had a good shot at finishing in the top 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my last guy, and Evan's going to hate this one, is Gardner Minshew. Uh, uh, end of the day, he scrambles the most. When quarterbacks scramble, it's easy fantasy points. Uh, I know it's a crutch argument, but he, he he's literally going to play from behind. There's no chance in the world the Jaguars have to <laughs> Uh, so he's just going to be airing it out. DJ Shark shares going up there, uh, and hopefully that their their running back core changes. Raquel Armstead was a guy who I was going to mention, but he can't get off the COVID list, so I'm just going to drop him yeah, from my no sleepers kidding. for the moment. No uh, but those were really the guys who I, I didn't get to talk about that I liked. Uh, but Rojo, just to touch on him one more time, I'm all in on Rojo this year. He's good. Yeah, no, me too. I hate that you are all in on him because I thought <laughs> I was going to be kind of by myself. In that regard, but that is going to do it for us today on episode nine of the Half Point Per Podcast. We will all three be back next week. Our good friend Johnny was out of town in some cabin in the middle of nowhere, had no apparently no internet on whatever wilderness adventure he is on. No microwave either, so he got to eat his Lunchables the wrong way. Oh, <laughs> I, somehow I think he's okay with that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Half Point Per Pod. Maybe there'll be a food poll again in the near future. We can stir up some more controversy. Um, our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with a show that I'm excited for to talk about our guys next week our favorite players at their price in all of fantasy football, besides, of course, maybe the top two or three guys. We don't go that high, but stay tuned.